Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode 16 of season five of This Spiritual Fix. Today, we are going to be doing part two in our paranormal series on disappearances today, as well as memory. Enjoy. Hypnosis. Mindfulness. Meditation. Mama, This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hey, Christina. Hello, Anna. Hello, hello. How are you today? I, I'm good. Actually, we have a cool episode today. We were doing this whole paranormal series. It originally started with just aliens, and then we realized that we were just kind of going to go deep into like the whole paranormal world, right? Yeah, basically discussing unexplainable events that lead you to wonder what is going on in this world. And I love it because it's like, I love that the world has these anomaly stories where like nothing is as it seems sometimes. And doesn't that make you question everything about reality? Exactly. Exactly. I would 100% agree. It just, it, it provides wonder. It provides wonder. That's it. And it's so important for wonder. I feel like is like what makes the mind like the mental body, so to speak, like lose its grip a little bit, which is good because if it has too much of a grip on things, it doesn't allow magic to happen. Yeah. So we're going to start the episode off with our prelude. If you're new here, we usually start the episode off with a topic that correlates to the rest of the topic. And today we're talking about missing persons, but, but, but strange missing person situations, not like your typical kidnapping or something, but like unexplained missing people. So if that's a trigger warning, you might want to just not listen to this episode because that could be extremely difficult to hear. I just wanted to let you know, that's what we're talking about today. Yep. Yep. Cool. Thanks. Okay. So the thing I want to talk about today is near and dear to my heart because I work with seniors, geriatric population. So in the prelude, we're going to talk about dementia. And we're going to talk about memory, what kind of working memories that we have. So dementia is something that can occur and it's kind of an umbrella term for different types of dementia. So Alzheimer's is a type of dementia, but there are other types of dementia. People often use Alzheimer's and dementia interchangeably, but dementia can be more than just Alzheimer's. So typically dementia includes memory loss, usually noticed by someone else, 
difficulty finding words, difficulty with visual spatial abilities, difficulty problem solving, difficulty handling complex tasks, difficulty with planning and organizing, with coordination and motor functions, and confusion and disorientation. Dementia does differ from delirium because delirium is short-term and dementia is gradual and long, right? So you may or may not have experienced delirium, but that is a temporary state. Other psychological changes you will see are personality changes like depression, anxiety, inappropriate behavior, paranoia, agitation, hallucinations. And some people, we call this state pleasantly confused, is that they are, well, there's like a couple different states, agitated and confused and pleasantly confused. But one of my favorite kinds of people to work for, with with dementia are pleasantly confused. And they've just, they're just the happy as can be. It's like, they're smiling, telling you their life couldn't get any better. I mean, they're just as happy as can be. And I've always said this and I'm saying it again. If I ever get dementia, please let me be pleasantly confused. Yes. They just, they just are just, they're just the sunshine in the room. Oh, but yeah. I've also seen agitated and confused and those aren't, it's not fun for the family there. It's, it's when people are picking fights, even though they were never argumentative, you know, things like that. So it's interesting too, because I've always like wondered about the whole, like, you know, the interesting, the curious case of Benjamin Button, you know, how he like, he like ages in, ba- in reverse. Oh yeah. Like, like where he, he is born as an old man and then he gets bigger and then he eventually dies as a baby. Is that, is that it does feel a lot like, like, and maybe you're going to talk about this in a second about how the memory of older people, especially if they're pleasantly confused, is kind of like babies, right? Where they're just like, I don't really remember what this is, but I'm just going to be happy or whatever. You know, it's like, you don't need to to figure it out anyway. You know, I've not ever really, I, I, I know that I, I work with a lot of old people. I look, I work with a lot of people at the, you know, end of life situations. I have never really seen them act like babies. People say it's like a, a circle and you go back to diapers and you go back to being a baby and losing yeah. your teeth and all that. I've never found that. I've never felt Interesting. That. Interesting. I've, I've never felt that. Yeah. I wonder um, if it's I, like yeah, a dimensional thing, like certain I, aspects of them come back, but like, go ahead. What were you saying? Oh, I was going to say to me, it's more like when they have dementia, to me, it feels like they have one foot in this world and one foot somewhere else. I don't see it as a regression. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the okay, reacquisition, so- the reacquisition of innocence, right. But it's not like a regression back into the innocence. It's like, you've come into a new space where you've like gone through your whole life and you're being a lot, you're, you know, you're being forced or whatever to remove the trauma, the memory of the trauma, right. And just go back to happier times. Like you said, halfway between one and the other. That's really interesting. Okay. Well, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the different types of dementia. The first one being Alzheimer's, which we know has a uh, small percentage of it is related to mutations of three genes, which can pass down from parent to child. And people can take genetic testing for this to know if they may or may not be a carrier. And just keep in mind that things like diet and exercise can either delay the onset of your symptoms or decrease the onset of your symptoms. Everything, when it comes down to neurological illnesses, if you are guaranteed to have them, like you are going to get Parkinson's, Huntington's, Alzheimer's, whatever, just keep in mind that an anti-inflammatory diet as well as exercise will most likely decrease the intensity of your symptoms, meaning it might not be as debilitating as as, as expected or as destined. And it can also delay the onset. So instead of getting it when you're 72, you might get it at 80 then, right? So just keep in mind, like that's another wonderful reason to exercise 
and eat right is because this is it has an enormous impact on brain health. Okay. Another type of dementia is vascular dementia, and this is actually due to the to the blood vessels in the brain. So this can be affected by strokes and other ways that the fibers in the brain can be damaged. So this is an interesting type. And also people who have hydrocephaly might have similar symptoms because again, hydrocephaly, which is what quote unquote water on the brain, you know, you're having actual physical changes to the structure of the brain resulting in this. Then you have Lewy body dementia. Lewy bodies are abnormal clumps of protein that have been found in the brains of people with Lewy body dementia. People with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's might also have these proteins when autopsied. And it is a type of progressive dementia. And this is a little bit different than the other type of, of dementia because you'll ac actually see like acting one's dreams out in sleep. They may see things that aren't there visually and you'll, they might have problems with focus and attention. This is also is like very similar to Parkinson's and, and it, cause it's also comes with slow movement tremors and rigidity. You have frontotemporal dementia. It's been in the news lately. Bruce Willis was recently diagnosed with this one. So that's kind of making headlines. And this one's different than Alzheimer's or Lewy body because the frontotemporal part of the brain is associated with your personality, behavior, and language. So it, these people are going to be very impulsive. So their personality is going to really change. And it's true also when people have had strokes in that part of the brain, the frontal temporal region, like they're going to be impulsive. They're going to be jumping out of their wheelchair. They're going to be unsafe. So safety is like the number one factor with this because of impulsivity. And, and then there are some other disorders linked to dementia, like Huntington's disease, traumatic brain injury, TBI, and Parkinson's disease. And some dementia-like conditions can be reversed. So if it's due to infection or immune disorder issues, metabolic issues, or nutritional deficiencies, or even say medication side effects, brain tumors, or the hydrocephaly I was talking about, when those things get resolved, you will see an improvement. And before I move into the topic of memory, I just want to give a couple of important tools that healthcare workers who work with people who have dementia use. And I think this is really important for just the everyday person. So the first one is to communicate very clearly if someone you love has dementia. You want to turn off all distractions because overloading the brain makes focusing very difficult. You want to use their name and be positive and upbeat. Number two, you want to make eye contact and people with dementia often see best when with like two feet below their eye level. So if they're sitting in a chair in a wheelchair and you're looking down at them, they're not going to make eye contact with you. And if you're eye level with them, they also will have difficulty making eye contact. So you actually want to get on the floor and kneel and squat and look up into their eyes and make sure you smile. So just remember they see best two feet below their eye level. Can I ask a question about that? Because isn't the thing, isn't there something in NLP that talks about like, isn't your imaginary space the one that's above you? Like, so the fact that they can't look up. Well, they can look up, but they're not going to make eye contact there. The The part of you're looking down, according to NLP, that's the, the kinesthetic region when your eyes look down okay. is kinesthetic. So I don't know if there was a relationship with that. That's, I'm sure they're, I don't know. It's just, you know, me, I like to make weird yeah. correlations. <laughs> so I was like, huh, I wonder if there's something with the fact that you're still in the body and then a part of you isn't like your imaginary right. space isn't accessible in the body anymore. So you can't even connect in that space. Right. So you're getting grounded by looking down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number three, do not interrupt. So let's say you're telling your loved one to get out of a chair and you're saying, 
to them stand up and they're taking a really slow time and you're like, stand up, come on, let's go stand up, stand up, stand up. You can't do that. Every time you give someone with dementia, a command, a new command, the whole brain resets. So then they have to start all over. So basically what you should do, you just try it and you'll see that it works. You can say, stand up and wait, give them like way extra time and they will stand up. But if you stand there and you just keep saying, come on, come on, stand up, let's go. Come on. You can do this grandma, whatever you're resetting them. You're resetting the switch every time. And then it just takes them forever. And then it, it, you think that they can't understand you, but they can. Okay. Number four, Familiar music helps. There's plenty of studies to show that music behaves differently than language. It's a magical thing. We love music. And whatever decade you, the person who has dementia wa was living in, in the when they were in their 20s and 30s, that's the kind of music that they were probably most likely to be exposed to. And that music will help. So for example, let's say I'm working with someone, you know, and she was listening to gospel music. So when I'm working with her, I will play gospel music, you know, if I'm trying to get her to dance or move. You, you don't want to give people too many distractions, but music can be a great anchor. So sometimes just like knowing their date of birth, fast forward 20, 30 years, look on Google, like what was the most popular song at that time? And you can play that music. Also yeah. keep in mind, like cultural, ref you know, be sensitive to culture and country, you know, but that can also be a really good help. And then and, the last one, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I wonder if with technology, it's like a little bit younger because I think the, the songs that I heard in my, in my teens are like the ones that I most like viscerally get me into that space. So I get twenties and thirties, but I feel like I never was listening to new. Well, I guess I never mind. Who knows? I don't 20s know. And 30s. Start Let's playing Hootie and that. the Blowfish at the Start. nursing home. We'll see what you do. But, exactly. um, so then the last one is utilize familiar activities. So knowing what this person enjoyed doing in their youth will help. So, okay. So it's important to understand that with dementia, it's very hard to learn new things, but we do have something called procedural recall. Procedural recall is a type of memory that, that is about how to do things. For example, if I handed someone with dementia a shirt, like, you know, that you put one arm through the hole and the other arm through the hole, and then you button it up like procedural, like the step-to-step -step ways to remember how to do things is one of the very last forms of memory that are lost. So if you do something, if you want to get them to move or do something, you give them an activity that has a procedural step-by-step -step sequence that they're familiar with. For example, if it was someone who ironed a lot, you know, give them an, an unplugged iron, please unplugged and, you know, have them pretend to iron clothes or, or if they were a caregiver, give them a baby doll or, you know, gardening, give them tools, like whatever it is. If you give them activities to do that aren't new things to learn, but rather invoke procedural recall, you can get them to move and do things because staying active is extremely important for them. So it's like the muscle. It's like, you got to use the muscles. You got to use all the muscles. You got to use the brain and, or else you lose it. Okay. So actually, I'm not going to go into the ty different types. There's four main different types of memory, right? Procedural recall was one of them. Working memory is what you use to store information for short periods of time. Like when you need to know what's on the menu, like, um, when where you put says, your keys, where you put your keys is your working memory. <laughs> exactly. Episodic memory is your ability to recall past events, recent or distant. And you'll notice that in dementia, that they often 
don't have as much difficulty with episodic memory going back, like further back, right? Like they couldn't tell you what the date or where they were, but they could say, for example, what they were doing, you know, where they used to live in the fifties, whatever, right? Uh, semantic memory is your ability to remember words and facts as well as faces, or just like knowing what things mean. Like, you know, that a plate is for holding food. Like if you had someone with hand, someone with dementia plate, they're not going to put it to their ear and act like it's a phone. Right. And then, and then you have prospective memory, which is your ability to remember future things that have not yet happened. And so then I want to talk a little bit about amnesia because I feel like that ties really well into this episode. I think so, but I just, wait, your ability to remember future events, like you're just going to gloss over that one. What do you mean by well, that? <laughs> well, like some people are unable to do that. Like I've met people who have issues with, with that and they will keep a notebook and they have to, anytime they like, I don't know how they remember to write it down, but they remember that like anytime they say they're going to do anything, they have to write it down. Oh, okay. I understand now. Right. So it's a promise. Like it's an inability to remember like promises and commitments that are supposed to happen in the future. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like thought, I thought it was like your inability to like be able to tell like, you know, the days of future past sort of thing where you're just like, you're like, I remember this will happen on this day and therefore, yeah. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. That's like birthdays and shit. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then there's something called neglect, which I don't know if you've ever known or seen, but this is very interesting. Let's say someone has left-sided neglect. They had a stroke on the right side of their body and now they have left-sided neglect. They don't know that the left side of their body exists. We're not, we're not talking about dementia anymore. We're talking about this totally other thing. So it's so interesting when people have left-sided neglect, because you'll ask them to draw a picture of the clock and they'll put all the numbers on the right side of the clock. Or like, they just don't even know they have a left arm or a left leg. And these people, they can grow out of it or they can expand beyond it, I should say, after a stroke. But like in those situations, you want to put the TV on the left side or like move their bed or their chair in a way so that they're forced to look at the door so that they have to turn to the left because they will actually think that the left side of the room or the left side of their body isn't even there. But that I mean, isn't have- that... That's just crazy. They must have so many effects for like, um, like the, the bilateral stimulation and like, oh yeah. So in those situations, you want to constantly just be like talking to them on the left side, talking to their left ear, touching their left shoulder while you talk, like you just, you got to like integrate them back into the other side of the body. And if you like these kind of things, like if this stuff is fascinating to you, there's a wonderful book called the man who mistook his wife for a, a hat by Oliver Sacks. And he talks about neurological impairments and different things. And one of the things he talks about is his patient, Willie Thompson, who couldn't remember anything for long. And he couldn't even remember who he was. So he would constantly make up contradictory identities for himself. So he would have some sense of self because he had no memory. Wow. Yeah. It's a great book. I read that, I read that book so long ago. That was an it, awesome book. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, and, and, and understanding when things go wrong with the brain, how it just tells us so much about what the brain is. It, it It's just, it's just so fascinating. So I do want to talk about three different types of dissociative disorders, because I feel like it's going to tie in interesting when we talk about people who disappear and then come back and don't remember where they were. Right. Yep. So there's three types of dissociative disorders, dissociative identity disorder, which is unpolitically correct called multiple personality disorder. You have dissociative amnesia and depersonalization or derealization disorder. 
Okay. So dissociative identity disorder is usually the existence of two or more distinct identities or personality states that often come about from early childhood trauma. It causes significant distress. It's extremely difficult. If you go back to, if you go back and listen to our episode on internal family systems, like we all have parts inside of us. So this is more of a, like, these are, these are really, these are parts that literally take over, right? And this is really sad, but people who have this more than 90% have been the victims of severe childhood abuse and neglect, and more than 70% of them will have tried to attempt suicide. Okay. It's a, it's a very sad. Yeah. I mean, cause it's like the ultimate unblended self, right. In the, in the sense that like your parts are so compartmentalized and protecting so hard that like you cannot unblend there is no self in that you're always it's like it's like only being parts Mm -hmm. so then we have the depersonalization and derealization disorder so depersonalization is when someone experiences an unhealthy detachment from one's own mind self or body and they feel like they are outside their bodies watching events happen to them for example They may wake up one day and be like, this leg doesn't belong to me. Like, this is not my leg, right? And people have even amputated limbs because they have experienced like, this is not my body part. This is not me. Like, I I don't know who this is, whose arm this is. Like, they just don't recognize it. Okay. Then you have, yeah. Then you have derealization, which is experience of unreality or detachment from one's surroundings. They feel as if things and people in the world around them are not real. And they usually, usually these symptoms begin in early childhood. The average person will first experience this disorder by age 16 and very few, like less than 20% will experience it before age 20. So if if it's happening after that, it, it might not be depersonalization or derealization. Okay. And now we have dissociative amnesia, which is what I really wanted to talk about because it's going to come in in this episode. And it is the ability to not be able to recall information about oneself. It's not normal forgetting. It's actually like a forgetfulness of the self, like who am I? And it's usually related to a traumatic or stressful event. It's traumatic or stressful event. It can be a localized, meaning they're unable to remember an event or period of time, which is the most common. So let's say you were in a car accident or you were the victim of some sort of attack, you might have localized amnesia, dissociative amnesia, where you just don't remember what happened, right? And then you have selective amnesia, which is your inability to remember specific aspects or events within a period of time. So my friend's father had this, and this is so sad because her father was like the most amazing man. And then he become an alcohol, then he became an alcoholic and then he got sober and he has like zero memory from eight, like the ages, like three to 15 when he abused her and he was horrible. He has no memory of it. He has like selective amnesia when it comes to the period of time when he was an alcoholic. And so she has a lot of struggles so much forgiving him because he was horrible to her in that time period. But like before and after his amnesia, he was amazing. It's, it's, it's a whole conundrum there, right? I feel like that's a, I feel like that's entity, like an entity atta- attachment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure, but gosh, I, I blessed her heart. Yeah. Generalized is also called fugue and it's extremely rare and it's a complete loss of identity and life history. So that is what fugue state is with fugue. 
people will could adopt a new identity. For example, you know, like someone might not come home from work or just completely disappear and then show up in a nursing home years later. Like, yeah, in uh, Philadelphia, I think it was like an art house, but it's like an independent film. It's called Unknown White Male. And it's about this guy named Doug Bruce, where he basically lost his entire episodic memory when he was on the subway. And it was so fascinating because they followed him through this whole journey. He never regained his episodic memory again. But basically everyone was like, but he's not him anymore because he doesn't have the shared events that we had with him. Like once they finally, once he like finally found his family again, it was really fascinating because they really were just like, he's a completely changed person. Like he's, he doesn't have any of the same, like he had been like a banker before and he had like become independently wealthy enough to be able to like become a photographer. And it was just fascinating movie to watch if you are interested in this type of thing, because his entire personality changed. It was like a, a dramatic walk-in if you wanted to use the language yeah. that we to use. And these kind of situations also lend themselves to fraud because someone will, will like peer in and be like, oh, well, that guy just got up and left. I'm going to assume his identity. And there's like plenty of cases where someone has disappeared or left because of amnesia. And then someone else comes back pretending to be that person in order to take their identity and their money. And I mean, like that's all when I was doing research for this, I kept finding those stories. So that's just nuts. Anyways. So how is dissociative amnesia treated? Well, guess what guys? It's like the same way we do our shadow work. It's like, (laughs) it's all the things we do in shadow work. You have psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. I move rapid eye movement desensitization. Remember EMDR we were talking about? That's their family therapy, meditation, and hypnosis. Although this is clinical hypnosis, I just wouldn't do it with like, you know, a counselor. I would like a medically trained hypnotist. Yeah. And there isn't medication to do this, but people who have this kind of dissociative amnesia will definitely most likely have depression and or anxiety because of it. They, it usually does respond really well with treatment, but it does take some time. Yeah. So- if I had anyway. if, if I had to postulate what what's happening there using kind of my understanding of the body systems, I would say that like something happened on what I would call like the etheric body, like the motherboard, such that the personal, like the mental and emotional, all the personal thoughts, feelings, and emotions got detached from the physical body. So the life force was still going in, but all the other things got fried on the system such that you had you have no uh, able to like no ability to retrieve those kind of thoughts, feelings, and memories, thoughts being mental, feelings being emotional, and memories being in the in between the, the, the two. So really interesting. So that was my prelude. And then Christina, what were you going to talk about today? So we're going to talk about interesting and, and different paranormal experiences in terms of, of disappearances. Well, the thing we're going to start off with first is what is called missing 411s. And I'm going to give you guys some background about missing 411s in, in particular, but uh, just so you guys know, these are stories of people disappearing. And this is if you are someone who gets anxiety and like may find yourself hypervigilant anyway, especially if you're a parent or something along those lines, like maybe just don't listen to this episode. Um, so just like be safe and kind to yourself, please. Okay, so I'm going to tell you guys a couple of stories about what this guy, his name is Paul Valitas has come up with, has termed the coin missing 411. The assumption is that 411 is like information. Like it's like what you die in the United States to get to information. And so therefore like missing 411 is like, okay, like, you know, when we talk about missing 411 cases, it's usually that somebody is disappearing without a trace. 
Paul Validis basically estimates that there are at least 1,600 people on any federal lands whatsoever, including national parks, who have gone missing over the last 50 to 75 years. There are, and then I'll say something about the actual How many stats. was it? 16,000? 1,600. 1,600. Oh, okay. And, and I'm going to tell you guys some more, more about the validity of that data afterwards, but I am going to tell a couple of stories, um, a couple of interesting stories of people who like kind of disappeared in unexpected situations. One was a boy, he was a six-year-old boy, and he was camping near the Tennessee-North Carolina state line with his family in the summer of 1969. So this was quite some time ago. He and his brothers had planned a prank. They were going to hide separately in a bush and jump out from different sides of the campsite to scare everybody. And it was going to be just a joke. It was all great until everyone realized that Dennis was missing. They called out search and rescue And it became, up until that point, the largest search in National Park Service history. And one of the people who was searching was a park ranger named Dwight McCarter, who had successfully tracked down hundreds of missing people, including children. He was a seasoned tracker, and he could not find Dennis. Dennis seemed to have disappeared completely, leaving no trace at all. And his his disappearance is still a mystery. But there was one possible lead that people saw that... Another family basically allegedly heard a scream and then saw like a bear man with something slung over its shoulder that could have been a small child. So one of the things that you'll hear in a couple of these different stories, and especially something that Paul Validis will say in his Missing 401s, which have become very popular in TikTok, you will hear the concept or you will see the tag, the hashtag, is that there are possibly connections to Bigfoot and Paul Validis started off as a Bigfoot investigator. So it makes a lot of sense that there's like correlations in here and sometimes correlations that are not actually maybe valid. So we'll see that. But one of the things that was really interesting that came out of this disappearance was that when you have too many volunteers, they will destroy evidence. So now searches don't have like whole communities going to look for people. It's usually less people who have a lot more training as a result of this one. So there's a boy named Douglas Legg and his family were out for a hike in the Adirondack Forest Preserve, which is in upstate New York and goes all the way up into Montreal. And his uncle spotted poison ivy and told Legg to go put on log pants to protect himself. And the cabins, the the family's cabin was like not very far away. and And the boy was eight years old and he never returned. But the interesting thing about it was that leg was like considered like the little boy was considered basically a mini woodsman they had hiked together so often they had never gotten lost with anything and it sparked one of the at the time the largest search and rescue missions in the adirondack with more than 600 people searching the woods but there was very little trace but it was interesting because when they brought dogs in some accounts described the dogs following legs scent for over 30 miles so something took him over 30 miles, whatever it was to be able to actually, you know, that that seemed like there may be bear like tracks of some sort, but like a bear's not going to, to take something 30 miles like that doesn't make any sense at all. It's pretty unheard of over very difficult terrain. And and his body was never recovered in this particular case. So, okay, so now I'm going to tell you guys another story that this is one that recently came up on TikTok, but I had heard it before. And then I found the story. And it's this story about a boy who was abducted by the quote unquote fuzzy man in a California state park. And this is one of those stories where you're just like, wow, can that possibly happen in that particular way? You can't even imagine it. So 
The basic idea is that there was a family who was out berry picking in an area of a California state park, very close to the entrance. And they had two boys and both of them were under the age of five. And at some point during the day, one of the boys vanishes and there's this massive search and they find absolutely nothing. And it was like the kid had never been in there in the first place. The dogs just sat down and didn't pick up on anything. Like no trace of the kid was found, right? And so uh, search goes on for about two months and eventually it's called off. Six months later, the family comes back to place flowers at the memorial that's been set up there for the kid and they bring their other son. And while they're placing flowers, they lose sight of the kid for about three seconds. And in the span of that time, he vanishes into thin air. So literally they've already lost one of their sons and now their other one has disappeared without a trace. And then this search is absolutely huge. One of the largest in state history. And there are about 300 volunteers like coming like every inch of this park looking for this kid. And the, the thing is, is that they assume that the kid, you know, may be dead. Then two weeks later, a volunteer almost 15 miles from the designated, designated search radios said that they found the kid. They assumed the kid was dead, but the volunteer says not only is he alive, he's in really good shape. It turns out that the kid's clothes are clean. There's no dirt on him anywhere, and he doesn't appear to be traumatized at all. The volunteer says they found the kid sitting on a log playing with a little twig bundle that's bound together by some old rope. They ask him where he's been and who he's been with for the two weeks, and the tell the kid tells them that he's been with the fuzzy man. And now this person who was questioning him was like, oh, the fuzzy man, maybe that means like the hairy man. And the boy's like, no, no, he's not hairy. It's not Bigfoot. He didn't say it's not Bigfoot because he's less than five, but he said he's not hairy. He's a fuzzy man. And he describes that the man's blurry, like when you close your eyes, but not all the way closed. And he says the man came out of the trees and took the kid with him into the deep woods. And the kid says he slept in a hollow tree and the fuzzy man gave him berries to eat. It's almost like a deva of the berries, right? Because everything kept happening in this one place near the berries. Anyway, I was thinking it would sound like an alien, but anyways. Yeah, I mean, or a multi ultra dimensional being, like a or hologram, like, that. like an alien projecting a hologram, and it was fuzzy. Yeah, yeah. isn't that interesting? And they asked if the, if it scared the kid, and the kid was like, "No, he wasn't scary, but he didn't like that. I, but I didn't like that he didn't have eyes. Super fucking creepy." So when they talk to him some more, when they get him back to to headquarters they they basically says that he wasn't allowed to go anywhere outside the tree other than a very specific clearing and when he tried to go further the buzzy the fuzzy man would get mad and yell really loudly though he didn't have a mouth and when the kid got scared at night the fuzzy man made it get brighter and gave him the twig bundle so basically like was able to in this dimensional space like was able to affect reality such that they could make it brighter so that it wasn't like night but he couldn't give himself more pixels or features. <laughs> he said the man, uh, the fuzzy man was going to keep him, but he had to let him go because the kid wasn't the right kind. He couldn't elaborate and wouldn't elaborate more on that. And they like renewed the search for his brother and they never found them. So this was a case of a kid coming back in which, you know, like what the heck was going on? There's And, and so that's kind of when we get into the whole four, missing 411 thing. So Paul us has a number of different books in this missing 411 thing. And he is correlating and saying 1600 people have died from national parks. And he even goes so far as to say the national parks may have been created because they were known as, as paranormal hotspots. Basically people are like, oh, well, you know, this is, this is a, like a particularly bad spot and therefore we're going to protect it and turn it into a national park 
or it's a sacred spot. Maybe the indigenous people who lived there before kept it sacred because of the fact that you weren't actually supposed to go into that space. But interestingly, like when you get down to it, the, you know, he says 1600 people, but there is other data in the show notes. We'll put this down that from 1958 to September, 2021, there's only 29 open cold cases for individuals who went missing at a national park. Paul Valida says that the national parks don't don't keep good records, like they're not required to keep specific records. And this is why this is so low. But of the 29 open cold cases, Grand Canyon and, and Yosemite make up half of those, 11 from Yosemite and five from the Grand Canyon. And out of that, I believe what I had heard was that like 76 people do search and rescues at Grand Canyon every year. And 70, there's only been like, like in a recent year, there was like 73 in Yosemite for search and rescues. Um, so 1600 over 60 years, maybe those things add up, but you know, we're kind of seeing that. Well, let, let's see 1600 divided by 60. What is, how many is that? It's about 26 a year. It doesn't seem like that much. It's kind of a lot. That's kind of a lot of people to go missing. From a um, park, a big park. I mean, in all the parks, you're right. Maybe it's not a lot for all the parks, but yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And, and, and when you look at it, a lot of the people who are scrutinizing Pavlidis's information, there's, there's a couple of them. There's this one woman who was a student, her name is Madeline Oster, and she did a 2021 paper and she basically analyzed all of his claims and basically said, uh, Politis has proposed the following claims over the years that people who go missing are either particularly young or old, that they tend to have Germanic surnames, that they tend to be highly educated, that they tend to be mentally ill or physically disabled, or re more recently that they are wearing red when they went missing. Often bodies are found partially undressed or wedged in crevices, and that it's particularly strange when remains or clothing is found near water or up high on hills, which I think is her way of saying like anybody who's a human is more likely to go missing unless you're wearing red in which case there. So the reason I say this is that like, there are a lot of unexplained things and there are a lot of unexplained worlds. And in fact, I, the one I do want to mention that I feel like really has a lot of validity I'll say in a second, but I think that it's really important to like recognize the healing nature of national parks and to, to recognize that like, you know, we always want to be safe when we go into them, but there's also an understanding that like unexpected and, and different things happen. And in the story with the fuzzy man, you maybe aren't the right kind. And also if one of your children goes missing, maybe don't go back to the same spot with another kid just for that reason. Right. That's really specific advice that I hope no one has to ever. Actually... I, well, that was kind of the point. I think the thing that I think that is really, really relevant. Like if I've looked at any claims on anything is not necessarily national parks, but actually the cave system. Cause if you, I'll put the picture in the show notes, but there's a picture that basically correlates disappearances with cave entrances and like where the cave system, the mammoth cave system and all the different cave systems in America are. And that is a very interesting correlation. Some people say that the cave system is one of the entrances to the inner earth but that there is a lot of there's a lot of correlation between those sites where the cave the cave maps and where all those disappearances are happening so we'll include that in the show notes as just food for thought and then go on to much more happy stories which is disappearances and reappearances as well as some mass disappearances okay so i i have two different stories that i prepared one is like clearly 
absolutely bonkers. And then one is possibly a fugue situation, dissociative amnesia thing. But um, which one would you like me to tell first, Christina? Save the fugue one for last. I want to hear the other one first. Okay. So this one is very interesting. It happened in 1977 in Chile. So there was a Corporal Armando Valdez, and he was the patrol leader. And on this date of April 25th, 1977, that's important to know, um, there were some very strange lights in the sky because they were patrolling this area. And they said it looked like fire in the sky. It was a violet light with red spots on each, and they seemed to withdraw and return closer and closer. There was no sound with this strange, unidentified flying object, and the plateau was amazingly silent. We talked about it in our, what did you call it when like everything goes silent? The Oz effect. So the Oz effect was taking place. And Corporal Valdez was praying to God and ordering the lights to please leave and nothing. So they were just coming and going. So he said, okay, guys, we wait here. I'm going to go demand that it identify itself. So he approaches it. He demands that it identifies himself. And then he literally disappears. Okay. He reappears only to say, you don't know who we are or where we come from, but we will be back soon. Okay. What the fuck? Who does he say okay. that to? He just says it to everyone. All right. Okay. And then everyone's like freaked. And then he goes unconscious. And all his men, and this is, has been corroborated by reporters that they like have gone back and investigated this and then talked to the men that were there. And they all like corroborate that he then he passes out and they look on his watch and his watch has stopped, but his watch has stopped five days later. So his watch says April 30th, 1977. What? Okay. And not only that, when he like went to confront these lights, he had a cleanly shaven face and he suddenly has like a five day old beard. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And then he disappeared again after he said that. No, no. He passed out after he said that. Okay. Did he die? So basically they, they see the lights, everyone freaks out. He approaches them. He demands them to know, no, he disappears. He comes back 15 minutes later. He shows up with a, with a five day old beard and a five days have passed on his watch. And he has no memory of what has just taken place in those 15 minutes, which could have potentially been five days according to his watch. That is really, really interesting. Cause it, I mean, I feel like missing time is really common with UFOs, right? Where you're just like hours have passed, but it's not like, it's not like protracted time. It's not like it feels like five days for you. And it's only 15 minutes for every other people. That's really crazy. Uh, yeah. And he didn't remember anything after he woke up after he passed out. Mm -mm. He was just like, he has no memory. Like he can't say yeah. where he was for those 15 minutes, AKA five days. Wow. That's really cool. Cool or fucking terrifying? Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's cool. I feel like I should be terrified, but I'm not for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why not. <laughs> well, they said they'd be back. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I think. I think the thing that I. Uh, I think I mentioned this. I. I, meant, I may mention this in the alien episode a little bit, but I feel like I don't have an. I don't have an alien, like timeline I don't have a timeline in which aliens are like a really big part of it like even if I'm kind of interested in it and I'm like interested in the whole like all that things I'm just like oh yeah that's not gonna happen to me I like just have this weird certainty about it 
which is maybe misplaced, but it's just the way I am. So I'm not terrified in that so way. You're not, so is it because you're not afraid of aliens or is it because you don't I believe they would abduct you or you, you think you are one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just have this weird sense of like, it's totally okay. And like one of the stories I didn't tell during the alien episode, which was so interesting was that I was remodeling this deck when I first moved here. And I had this really crazy night in which like I woke up screaming at one point in the middle of the night. And the next morning I went outside to my window. Like there's a porch that comes right off my window. And there were all these burn marks in the porch that hadn't been there before. And I, and then I asked our alien advisor about it and they're like, oh yeah, but that's okay. Cause like they're, they're not causing any harm. Like they're not good doing something like that. So in theory, I may have already been abducted. So maybe I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Which is hilarious that I kept that story out of the alien episode for some reason. And I decided to say it today because I reappeared. <laughs> I'm trying to tie it back in. <laughs> All right. You have another story for us? I have a couple. I, I yes. Okay. So I'm going to tell for Anna's longer story, I'm going to tell a couple of stories of, of whole places that have moved, that have gone away. One is Mesa Verde. Do you know the story of Mesa Verde? Like how the the Pueblo and Indians were there for quite some time. It was basically, it's really beautiful. It's in Southern Colorado and it's got, it's just like a whole town that's like built directly into a cliff face. But the interesting things is that the, they left for some reason and nobody could necessarily understand why that was. And there's like no evidence that there, there was some evidence they thought that maybe they migrated further south, but it's a strange thing that basically they completely left a place that was very habitable. And obviously they'd spent a very long time doing that one's not nearly as convincing necessarily though as Roanoke, which is probably the most famous in American history of North or United States history of, of Roanoke colonies. So the very first colony that was ever founded in the new world by and settled by Europeans was Roanoke, which was in Virginia. Um, and it was founded in 1585 and it was an English colony. So it was the very first English. Oh, I know this story. I know the Roanoke yeah. story. I don't know the Mesa Verde story. Yeah. The, the Mesa Verde story is less uh, no. fa fantastic, fantastical than the Roanoke one. Right. And so the place was situated on Roanoke Island, which is why it was a Roanoke colony. And it's in present day North Carolina even though it was in the Virginia colony at the time, I believe. And what was interesting was that they were completely not prepared at all for this journey. They didn't understand anything about what it was like. So they didn't have proper supplies and they for it, which basically forced the colony's governor to go back to England for more, which is insane because how could you not come up with freaking supplies? Like, I know that things are a little bit different, but like the fact that you send colonizers and they have no wilderness skills at all, even if it's in a different country is like completely beyond me. But was what was interesting was that the colony's governor was detained for three years. But by the time he returned, the entire colony's population had disappeared. And the only clue that was left was a single word that was carved on a tree, which was Croatoan. And Croatoan is the name of the, the local, basically it was the name of the local indigenous tribe as well as of an island that was close by. And there's a lot of indigenous stories. Like one of the things I recently heard was that there's an indigenous story that talks about how the Roanoke colony didn't actually disappear. It just disappeared according to English people who are like, oh, you didn't stay in the same place. But actually there's a lot of evidence in indigenous stories that they just became integrated into the tribe. 
because they were going to die anyway. So they didn't, they didn't, they weren't slaughtered. They weren't anything like that. Like they, they were integrated. They were fully integrated and that there may even be evidence, genetic and evidence that shows that the Croton tribe actually absorbed the rodent colony as a result of it. So it's like an interesting thing because it's like a really apocryphal story in U.S. history, but there's actually a really logical and not so terrible explanation as to what may have happened there. So yeah. Those are my, those are two of my things. I have a couple of others for this, but I want you to, I want you to tell the story, your other disappearance, reappearance story. Okay. But this one might be a fugue story. So you, you be the, you be the judge. Okay. Okay. So there was a guy named Dr. William Bates, who was an ophthalmologist in New York city. And on August 30th, 1902, he wrote a hurried letter to his wife that says, it says, my dear wife, I'm called out of town to do some major operations. I go with Dr. Forsch, an old student, to do a mastoid, some cataracts, and other operations. He promises me a bonanza. Too bad to miss the horse show, but I'm glad to get some money for all of us. I'm in such a flurry. Do not worry. I'll write details later. Yours lovingly, Willie. Okay. It was a really weird letter because he was very wealthy. So why is he like saying, I, I'm so glad to get this money? And she said, it just didn't sound like him. Like it's right. just not the way that he would write. And he went to visit his mother supposedly, and then he didn't come home. And so his wife, Mrs. Bates began to frantically search for him. And she, he was a Mason, like in the Masonic society. And they circulated his picture around the world. And eventually a letter arrived from Great Britain saying that a man who fit his description was found working as a medical assistant at Charing Cross Hospital in London. So she gets on a boat and she goes there and he was haggard, thin, and his eyes were deeply sunken, but it was him. And even though he had a, a very sizable bank account and could have lived a life of luxury in London, he was like almost starved from being poor. And she's like, what's going on? Why did you leave? He says, I don't know who you are, madam. We're strangers. And the doctor was very, was very reluctantly persuaded to join Mrs. Bates to go to a hotel for rest and recovery. And he was very confused and she was very confused. And then he freaking disappears again. Like he, he leaves and she never saw her husband again. So when he disappeared, he was in, it was 1902. He was handsome. He was in his early forties. He was well off, respected. And like, why did he suddenly just vanish from this quote unquote, perfect life? So she died in 1907. So five years later, and she was just, you know, what the hell, who is my husband? So in 1910, a good friend of Dr. Bates from his New York days happened to be passing by some random town called Grand Folks, North Dakota, a town of 12,000 people. By chance, he runs into this doctor, Dr. Bates, and Kelly recognized his old friend and they decided to set up a small ophthalmology practice. So like, what the hell? He's practicing, he's practicing medicine. He's practicing ophthalmology. He hasn't forgotten his medical training, but yet he couldn't remember his wife or like his previous life. It's, it's just so weird. So they go into ophthalmology practice together and he ends up becoming like a well-known person because he created in 1917 a very unusual theory of eye care called the Bates system of eye exercises which is like we, we could probably call like eye yoga like he taught people how to move their eyes in different ways to cure themselves of vision problems because he said that the issue with vision had to do with your eye muscles and like one of his, a famous follower of hers was Aldous Huxley the guy who wrote Brave New World and um 
anyways, he ended up being debunked and like these eye exercises don't work, even though some people swear that they did. And was it amnesia or disappearing act? To this day, no one really knows what happened to him during those disappearances. He got remarried like years later. It's just, the whole thing is just really weird. Did he have a fugue state? Like, did he have a walk-in? Like, what What the hell happened? It's just, the whole thing is just weird. That is really weird. That is really weird. It feels like a fugue state. Like, when you test it, when you muscle test it, what do you feel? Yeah, it seems like a fugue state. Like, maybe he witnessed some sort of tr- trauma on the train on his trip to see his mom, and it propelled his identity out of his body i don't know it's just the whole thing is just odd that's really weird that's really weird huh but cool that he reappeared i guess right but just like in a different way i mean that's that's where that's why sometimes i just feel like we're just like these walking vessels and if we're not really strongly attached to our body someone else is just going to take it for a little ride joy ride sometimes right that's like kind of like entity attachments right right <laughs> Yeah, that's really cool. All right, so I'm going to tell a couple more examples of eerie things in which large masses of people disappeared. Um, and so, and these are not as inexplicable as Mesa Verde or, or more explicable as Roanoke. Okay, so this one is Solva Bay. This is the story of the missing platoon. It was in the midst of World War I and a battalion of British soldiers attempted to march onto Solva Bay in Turkey, which was then known as the Ottoman Empire. But due to a series of miscommunications, the landing didn't go as well as expected, and the commander who led the attack was dismissed for his incompetence. Yet one of the lingering mysteries from this failed battle was a single platoon that went missing. It is said that a strange cloud covered the hillside, which the English soldiers walked through, and they weren't seen afterwards by either the Turkish or the British. So some sort of weird portal in the shape of a cloud or whatever came down and the entire platoon disappeared it's so crazy yeah this is another one it's it's from a place in brazil there was a little village of 600 residents and this little village basically suddenly emptied itself when a group of travelers arrived there in 1923 what was strange was that none of the belongings were taken nor any of their food and the only thing that had been left was a message scrawled on a blackboard which said there is no salvation there's been a couple of explanations possible that people have tried to do, to explain, which is including the sudden departure because they were being threatened by gorillas to being abducted by aliens. But there is no thing. What do you muscle test when you say? Is it aliens? Is it gorillas? I get aliens. I get aliens too. <laughs> this is this is fun. Can we validate using our muscle testing? What is the thing? <laughs> All right. And so next is within the state of Iowa, there was a town that existed named as Urkimer. Uh, and though no one speaks of it today, it was apparently in like an average Midwestern community until 1928, when suddenly all of the residents vanished. Several witness reports that followed from passing tourists on the empty town eventually led to the incident being published in some local newspapers, but it was right before the 1929 stock stock market crash and then the dust bowl hit so no one ever heard about it and basically the whole town just disappeared do you get that it was like disease or it was i think that one's aliens too that's what i get i get aliens too dang it all right (laughs) go ahead This, this is um more scientifically based but also just crazy there's a book called i woke up in the future by naomi jacobs she was a 32 year old single mother who woke up in in 2008 completely forgetting the last two decades of her life. Like just, just woke up one morning 
all the details of her life since 1992. She thought it was 1992. She thought she was 15 years old. She didn't recognize her home. She didn't know who the boy in the house was, who was her 10-year-old son. But yet she still could recall phone numbers and could drive a car. And luckily she had kept diaries over those last years. So she was able to like read through her diaries and like remember what the fuck she did. I mean, isn't that just crazy? That's so weird. That's so weird. That's like the opposite of what I always fear of like waking up, which I've said on the podcast in the past of like waking up and I'm suddenly 15 again and I have to go redo my whole life again. And so like, there's no way to guarantee that like, the certain situations happen such that I can like see my kids again. So that's like the opposite situation, which is that you're still in the present, but you only remember being it. Oh, that's, that's creepy. That's scary. That scares me. Ali and abductions. No, but doing shit with my memory like that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like why 1992? You think she had a walk-in in 1992 and then that walk-in finally left. And then <laughs> that's a really, that feels like a really good thing. When I test it, I get yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That is really interesting. This is the last one I have, which is the South Atlantic anomaly. So for those of you guys who study anything about pole shifts, you may know that there's this thing called the South Atlantic anomaly, which is basically where all the Van Allen radiation belts come through. And it's postulated to become the future South Pole if we ever have a pole shift, because there's a there's a South Indian, like a, in the Bay of Bengal, there's an, an, an electromagnetic man, anomaly in which both the South and North Pole are headed towards at this point. And so the opposite side of the earth from that is the South Atlantic, which is supposed to be the South Atlantic anomaly. And so basically all the magnetic belts, the fields that go around the world, they absorb all the solar winds and they protect everything. But it's a really strange, like it's a, it's a, where it, the, the, polarity and the field is very strong in the Bay of Bengal, like in that area, it's incredibly weak in the South Atlantic anomaly. Like if you look at um, any of the different like radiation for the, you know, basically how strong the earth's magnetic field is, it's obviously been diminishing a lot over the um, years and the North and South pole are migrating towards this place in the Bay of Bengal. And I'm just saying this like, yeah, and we're about to have a pole shift, guys. You cool with that? Like everyone's about to die. No, not everyone's about to die. Probably won't happen for another 50 years, maybe 100, maybe 150. We're about 5,000 years overdue. So it's kind of coming maybe. And I'm not going to get into pole shifts any more than I already have. But it's interesting because in this vicinity in Brazil, one of the radiation belts comes unusually close to the Earth's surface, which is what causes the South Atlantic anomaly. And 10 million volts worth of energy is present, which has been proposed to be a possible explanation for the Air France flight 477, which had 228 passengers disappeared. So that was one of those things very similar to the Malaysian Airlines thing, which may have been slightly different, in which that, I, I don't believe anything was ever recovered from that crash. Maybe there was one bit of debris, but the idea is that Possibly it was the South Atlantic anomaly that was particularly strong on that day, which basically caused this, this crash and the disappearance of the 228 passengers who were never recovered. So that's fun. Very interesting. <laughs> There's plenty of stories of ships that have disappeared as well, which I guess isn't that weird. There was like a whole army in Persia that just disappeared in the Sahara Desert. Did you see that one? There's just, I did not see that one. I'm going to end with a last story of a missing person's case that doesn't necessarily seem to be fugue because it's so freaking weird. Yes. So freaking okay. weird. 
1978, this guy named Stephen Kubaki was a 23-year-old college student studying German at Hope College in Michigan, and he set out for cross-country skiing on Lake Michigan. But he would not come home as scheduled. And keep in mind, he was stable mentally. He wasn't suicidal. Nothing traumatic had happened. And basically what happens is they find his, like, ski prints, and then they just end. And his skis and poles are on the shore of a frozen lake and his footprints just like end. So they're like, well, he must have fallen in the water. That's just really weird. It's just like, it's as if he evaporated into thin air. Oddly, the following day, his missing backpack shows up in the center of an area that had already been extensively searched. So that was also like really, really weird because they were there and looking for him. And then the next day, there's suddenly a backpack in the same spot that they were just looking for him. Okay. That's so weird. Yes. So weird. Okay. So fast forward to May 5th, 1979, exactly 15 months later, he suddenly appears at his aunt's house in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. He seems dazed and confused, but otherwise in good health. But the question now was, where had he been for the last 15 months? He woke up in a field, which was 70 miles due east from where he disappeared. And he was wearing unfamiliar clothes that weren't his. And he had a bag next to him filled with maps he didn't recognize and hitchhiking signs to go to Sacramento, San Francisco, Reno, Chicago, and Utah, which he also had no like memory of making. And he had $40 in cash, new glasses, sneakers, and a t-shirt from a marathon that was run in Wisconsin. And he said his body felt like he had done a lot of running, but he could not explain where he had been for the last 15 months and he had no idea why he just suddenly woke up in a field that to me 100 percent feels like somebody just hijacked his body just yeah and they're like i want to run a marathon that sounds great like an entity or like another dead human ghost thing i feel like it's a human ghost thing what do you get when you test it yeah i get a human ghost thing yeah (laughs) Yeah, which uh, is one of those things where, you know, if you suspect that you are hijacked, <laughs> hijacked, send Anna and I an email. We can we can help because <laughs> that would not be good to lose your life for 15 months. I mean, maybe it's good that he got enough energy to be able to run a marathon. I think I would be pissed if somebody took my body and then went and run a marathon because I think I would like. it would be hard it would be hard to do but maybe uh with somebody else's mind and motivation they could take my body and it would be okay if you took somebody else's body where would you go with it the look she's giving me guys is hilarious if i took someone else's body like if you were a ghost if i was ghost if you were a ghost and you took someone else's body or even if you were like incarnate now and you could go and take somebody else's body and do something what would you do I would be a man. I would like take a man's body and go have a lot of sex. Like I'd want to know I what do. that feels like as a I man too. Why is that? I, I think I would be really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would help me a lot to like develop more compassion and more other things. Either that or I get super pissed because, you know, but you know, knowing, <laughs> knowing what we know about like, you know, the experience of like of hormones and, and different things being in just different places, like maybe it's not this huge divide that we think it is. And maybe they are like very similar situations. It's just like, you don't really remember it. So um, I would love to though inhabit, I don't know if you can do this, but like a bird and just like know how it feels to fly. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it how it has to have those. And and it kind of feels like that when you're dreaming, but it's not, it's not nearly the same. When I dream, it's almost like swimming. Like I, I have to run and take off, and then I'm like kind of swimming in the air. <laughs> and then I like slowly float down and I'm like, no, no, gotta work hard to get up. Very few times, very few times I just like get to go up and shoo. Yeah, it, it it's funny because it reminds me of um, have you ever heard of the uh, Im- immortality theory of of earth and this is like loosely connected but it's like one of these theories it's like a conspiracy theory that i just wanted to for some reason archangel michael's like why don't you mention this and you may have heard of this is that there's a theory that we are actually all immortal beings like our souls are the like i mean obviously we've talked about our souls being the immortal beings because we have past lives and things like that but the idea is that we are voluntarily resetting our memories so bringing it back to memories we're voluntarily resetting our memories at each birth because otherwise we'd be bored to death right? Because we're immortal souls. And because we're immortal souls, we're like, this needs to be more interesting. So we're going to voluntarily, like, we came up with the technology to basically create an amnesia experience so that we basically, it felt like we were starting from scratch every single time. And we just go into these lives and we're not actually trying to learn anything. We're just trying to like bide our time. That's an interesting kind of believable and yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it does. Anyway, this has been an interesting and eclectic episode, has it not? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like this is the weirdest episode we've done. (laughs) It could be. It could be. There's a whole gamut of feelings in it. So uh, we hope that it maybe one of you guys heard something that was useful. I had a lot of fun (laughs) doing it. I had a lot of fun in it. So hopefully other people can have fun too, have some play. And then yeah. there's only one movie that I really know about all this. Like, well, it's about a fraud is that the changeling with Angelina Jolie. Oh, what was that her, one? Her son disappears. This is a true story. Her son disappears and an imposter comes back. And then the police make her accept the imposter as her own son, even though his dental records don't match her true son. And Why does they like make two, her accept him? Because they wanted to make it look like the police knew, like recovered the son. That's so weird so weird oh what a strange and varied and wondrous world we live in right it goes back to wonder yeah and what to remember all right thanks anna thanks chris bye bye thank you for listening to this episode of tsf would you like to do a favor for those who may be similar to you or in a same situation then leave us a review on iTunes because that's how people can find us. We really appreciate it and we appreciate you. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Hello, TSF family. It's Christina here. In our journey of self-discovery, Anna and I have explored numerous tools and processes, just as many of you have during this TSF journey with us. The community of beautiful souls we've connected with both energetically and in reality is truly awe-inspiring. Thank you for being a part of it. Now, I invite you to join me this fall in 2023 for my Zoom course, Redeeming Your Inner Villain Transformation Circle. Over the past year, I've channeled and undergone a transformational journey in redeeming my inner villainy, which I'll talk about later 
this season, but we'll be shifting in this course our perspective to recognize our role in villainizing the aspects of ourselves that perpetuate the drama triangle, both internally and externally. This process has enabled me to unravel and love parts of myself that once villainized, my neurodivergence, my maladaptive behaviors, among other things. Embark on this journey of self-love with me. I am currently offering free 30-minute exploration calls for those interested in this opportunity or who just want to catch up. Visit www.chriswilsey.com and click begin my quest to schedule your call. And remember, our TSF family receives a special 10% discount on this course when you choose to sign up. Join me in redeeming your inner villain and embracing self-love like never before. Don't miss this chance to transform your perspective and your life. Visit www.chriswilsey.com today. Thanks, y'all. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilsey.com forward slash discover.